0: 17 and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples and he said to his disciples temptations to sin are sure to come but woe to the one through whom they come it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of the little ones to sin pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins rebuke him and if he repents forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field? Come at once and recline at the table. Will he rather not say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he has done what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants and we have only done what was our duty. Let's pray as we begin our worship time this morning. Know this is a little different. We're going straight into this sermon really quickly this morning. We're kind of, uh, in a way, a little bit uh, lean and mean today, going right to it. Uh, Just so you're clear, I've talked about this. We've done this once before, and we'll do this from time to time. We're going to sing a couple songs this morning after the sermon, and the reason we do that is is when we when we open God's word, God's word should be part of the worship. It should lead us to worship. And it should lead us to song to express our worship in song. So it's all part of the worship service. So whether we sing all the songs before or all the songs after or we split them, it should all be worship. So today, hopefully, as we work through where we are in Galatians, it's going to lead us to raise our voices in praise. So we're going to have an opportunity to do that right after the sermon today. If you want to turn with me, if you've been with us, you know we're in the book of Galatians. We're getting pretty close to the end. We're actually going to be in chapter 6 today. We're going to look at the last verse of chapter 5, 526, and we're going to go through 6, verse 10. If you've been with us, I've said over and over, if you haven't been with us, I'll recap for those who've been here. If you haven't, Galatians really divides up very nicely into three sections. The first two chapters being Paul's defense of who he is as an apostle that he's gotten his word from the Lord, that he's he has the authority to speak, that what his words are are actually God's words, and he makes his defense of that. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he goes into an Old Testament defense in a lot of ways, a theological defense of what his main focus of the book is. And the main focus of his book is that we are saved by what Jesus Christ did alone and nothing else. And Paul goes in, verse, in chapters 3 and 4 and he says, this is nothing new. I didn't make this up. This is all the way through the Bible. And we looked at that theological defense. And in the last few weeks, we've been in the last two chapters. And really, the last two chapters is very much practical application, living by the gospel. It's very practical. And uh, we've seen that the last couple of weeks. Just going back a few weeks, three weeks ago, we really talked about who are you putting your trust in? If you add anything else to Christ, you're really trusting yourself because you're saying, I have to contribute something to my salvation. And we talked about who you're putting your trust in. And then two weeks ago, we said when we really fully trust in Christ, we get the greatest freedom ever. That it comes by putting your trust fully in Christ. And then last week, we talked about when we become a believer, when you put your faith fully and completely in Christ, you get the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. But then there's a war that goes on because we are sinful, messed up people. We have our flesh. What Paul calls our flesh is our sin nature. And we get the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And there's a war between anything in our flesh and God's perfect Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we talked about that war that goes on and what the different sides of it are. Well, today what we're going to do is really those last three weeks we've talked about. Today we're looking at how we can practically help each other to do those things. How we come alongside and how we help each other. So that's what we're going to see This morning and I recap those because this really kind of ties all of them together. It really helps bring them together. So let's read Galatians 5 verse 26 through 610 and then we'll jump into these verses. So starting in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap for the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at those verses. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it for us. We thank you that you inspired it. We thank you that we can trust it and that it can lead and guide us in all things. We pray that today we'd be faithful to what your text, what your word says, that it would be clear. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and open our hearts and our minds to be able to understand clearly and apply it to our lives. We thank you for what you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this today, I want us to consider three questions. That's no surprise. We usually have three questions, three things we look at. But the first part I want us to consider is what in order to do this, in order to help each other, what do we avoid? What do we need to avoid? First, what do we need to avoid? Second, how do we help each other? And then third, what is the outcome of each? Because if we slip into these things that we can avoid, there's a real stern warning here. And we need to at least consider that. But then we're going to end with the wonderful things that come from it when we really help each other to walk after these things. So what should we avoid? What is to be avoided? Look at verse 26 from me. Verse 26 with me. Chapter 5, 26. And I think you'll see real clearly what is to be avoided. Because he says right there, let us not become conceited. The first thing right there, pretty obvious that we want to avoid is we can't help others. We can't help each other to walk along in the faith if we become so focused on ourselves, if we become so inwardly focused that we're conceited. And that's what Paul says. Do not become conceited because there's no way you can help others if you're all about me all the time. And that's what he's telling us. But what I want you to see in that verse is there's really two ways you can become conceited. You can provoke one another or you can envy one another. And I'll explain what I mean why both of those are a way of being conceited. Because immediately it may not jump out as you as being conceited when you look at those two. But when we consider the motivations behind those things, it becomes pretty apparent. And the first way you can become conceited is when you provoke. And what provoke means, literally what it means is to call oneself forth. Put yourself out there. Look at me. And you can think of a lot. I was trying to think of a good example, but you can think of kind of silly examples on provoking. Uh, what came to my mind was um, when your college football team plays somebody else's and you win, and then you hold it over them for the next year, and you go, hey, how about when we played you And you keep bringing it up. and you can, Like I could do because Texas A&M beat Texas this year, so I could say that to anybody I know that went to the University of Texas. But you can say that. and you, I mean, it's a silly example, but what you're doing is you keep bringing it up because you know you have the upper hand. You're putting yourself or your team forth. Oh, well, how about your... And what you're doing is you're provoking. You're making much of yourself. But what you're really doing is you're looking down on the other person. Now, now, the example of sports, that's kind of a fun, loving, not really... But we do it in all different things. We look down on people for maybe the way they dress or where they live or the way they act or whatever. All so- sorts of things that we're in the provoking relationship where we look down on others. Now, the other end of the spectrum of how we become conceited is we envy And you can see how those are on the same line, provoking an envy. Envy is at the other end. Because really, envy means discontent in regards to others' advantage. So you're upset that somebody has something you don't. So instead of looking down, you're now looking up. Oh, that person's got nicer, they've got a better job, or better whatever. They seem to have everything together. And you start to look up at the other person. And what that is, the reason... Paul says, don't be conceited, and then gives those two examples. Is there both ways of being conceited? And the reason I say that, they're both ways of being conceited, because both of them you are comparing yourself to others. How do I stack up? What do they have that I don't have? You're always comparing yourself, and it's very self-centered, because you're looking at me all the time and how, how I stack up to all these other people. And when we do that When we start to think of me all the time and how do I look and how do I fit in and all these things, we become very inwardly focused. And we talked about this last week when we looked at the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And we talked a little bit about that. You can you can kind of trace all the fruit of the flesh back to a very inwardly focused. It's all about me. And what happens is when we start to do that, it's crushing to our freedom that we have in Christ. And it's crushing in our trying to walk by the spirit because we're going to see. Actually, th- think just back a few weeks. If you if you've got your Bible open in verses 13 and 14 of chapter five, Paul says, for you are called the freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love that your neighbor as yourself. So Paul says, when you understand what Christ has done for you and you get the spirit and walking by the spirit, it's going to look like you're outwardly focused, loving others. So when we're trying to help each other to do that. If we become so conceited and I'm so busy comparing myself and my stuff and my things to other people, we can't do that. We're we're opposed because remember, we talked about that last week. The flesh is opposed to the spirit and we start to do that and we get all about me. It just totally crushes the freedom we have in helping each other look at verses uh, look at verse three because he expands on this for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself and actually take four and five with that because he makes the whole point here but let's let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load I want you to see what Paul's saying. When we start to compare ourselves, whether envying or provoking that person's better, that person's less or whatever. When we're always comparing ourselves to someone else, it gives us a wrong understanding of who we are in Christ. And it gives us a wrong understanding of just who we are as people. Because when we start to always compare to somebody else, you may say, well, that person's not It's not really doing so good. I'm a lot better than he is. That's the provoking side. You're looking down. And what happens is it gives you a wrong uh, standing of who you are before God. You start to get it from your works. You start to get your worth from your own works. Look, I'm better than that guy. Or maybe you're at the other end and you think, I'm all messed up. I'm not good at all. I've got such problems and I'm not good. And that person is so much better. And then you start to get your worth or your lack of worth from comparing yourself to to another. And you should never do that. That totally circumvents the gospel and what happens. And we'll take verse three is really taking the the provoking side, the looking down on others, because what does he say? For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And the reality is that we're all messed up. We're all messed up. And if you start comparing yourself to somebody else and you're thinking, oh, I'm pretty good because I'm not as bad as so and so. You've missed the biblical understanding of who you are before God. Because we are all sinful. Um, there was an album that came out oh, about six years ago. A singer I like. His name is Sufjan Stevens. And Sufjan Stevens is a Christian. But he sings. He's not a praise and worship guy. He's more of what we call secular music. But a lot of his music has very Christian themes. And he came out with this great album six years ago. And it was called Illinois. And it was a, it was a concept album about the state of Illinois and all the things in Illinois. And it was on every top ten list. It was a really good album, and all these, he did all this great stuff with the music. But one of the songs right in the middle of the album was called John Wayne Gacy. If you know who John Wayne Gacy is, he was a serial killer that was from Illinois. And every review I read when that album came out that year would always say make mention of this song. And they'd say, it's this wonderful album and all this great stuff, except for this really weird song in the middle. And if you've ever heard the song, if you have any idea what I'm talking about, there's a song about John Wayne Gacy, and it just talks about who he is and that he was a serial killer. And it basically tells his story. And it gets to the very end of the song, and Sufjan Stevens sings, and I'm no better than he is. And if you look under my floorboard, you'd find my secrets hid. And that's what every reviewer couldn't get their head around. What is he talking about? He sings this song about the serial killer and then gets to the end and he says, I'm no better. I'm exactly like he is. And what Sufyan Stevens understands as a believer is that before God, he's just as bad. He is just as sinful that we are so messed up in our own left to ourselves. We are no better than John Wayne or whoever you want to compare yourself to. And that's what Paul's saying in verse three. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Because we always can find somebody, oh, well, look at this guy, he was a serial he was way worse. And we start to compare ourselves and build ourselves up on our own performance. And that's what he's addressing the whole book. You can't do that. You are saved by faith in Christ alone and nothing else. And it's so important that we get that. And that's really what comes out in verses four and five, because what he's saying in verse four and five is he says, let each one test his own work. And then in verse five, he says, for each one will have to bear his own load. think what Paul's talking about in verse five is he's talking about when we stand before God in judgment. There will be no. Oh, but I was a lot better than that guy. I immediately think of Isaiah six when Isaiah comes before a holy God and he immediately falls on his face and he says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. When you stand before perfect holiness and perfect justice and perfect righteousness, there'll be no comparing. There's no levels. We're all found wanting. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't slip into that comparing yourself to others. Because when we do that, it leads us to a false sense of security and who we are as, as sinful people. The reality is, apart from Christ, and that's what he's been driving at the whole book, we are all hopelessly lost. We have nothing to add on our own. Apart from Christ, apart from his spirit working in us, we don't have anything to add. So to say work, to say faith is faith plus some stuff you do, you don't understand who you are. Essentially, that's what he's saying. You're deceiving yourself. So what we see, though, is the answer is, and Paul's been saying this all along, the answer to whether you're envy or you're provoking, the answer to both both sides of the equation is the gospel. I want you to think about why for just a second. If you're looking down on others, you don't understand what's happened to you in Christ. Because God came and he saved you on nothing of your own doing. He didn't choose you because you were a pretty good person. He chose you simply because he loves you, and he loved you because he loved you. And that's it. There's no, no other, that's it. And the reality is you're saved by faith alone in Christ, and he did it all. The God of the universe had to come to earth and become a person and live the life that you couldn't live and go to the cross for you so that you can be saved. That should be radically humbling to everyone. That should completely do away with looking down on anyone. Anyone. You're saved by grace alone. So how in the world can you turn to somebody else and go, oh, well, I'm a little better than you. No. <laughs> No, we're saved by grace. So that should be radically humbling to the provoking side. But the other side of it, the other reality, is the envy side. When you look up at other people, oh, they're so much better. Well, the gospel answers that too because it answers it in that the God of the universe that came down and did all those things and died for you loved you so much to come do that for you. The one person that matters, your creator that made everything, loves you infinitely more than you could ever know. So that should completely do away with your problems with self-esteem and, oh no, I'm not as good as whoever. The God of the universe loves you infinitely. And what that does, though, in the gospel is it gives us the perfect balance. It It should put you right in the middle when you're really walking by the Spirit and you're seeing the gospel because on one side it's radically humbling and on the other side it's radically empowering because He loves you so much you should be right in the middle. And what it does is it frees you To love others in the way that he loves you. And that's what we're going to get out here. And that's really how we start to help each other. And that's what we see in verses 1 and 2. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So that's what he's saying. When you understand that you're saved by faith alone and it's Jesus alone, it radically changes everything. And then you can go love people without worry. You don't have to worry about them looking down on you or looking up to you or whatever. We're all the same in Christ. We're all saved the exact same way. And that should completely change the way we relate to each other and how we help each other. And that's what Paul's telling us here. He tells us in verse one, we need accountability. We need other people to step up and help us. We need people to speak into our lives. Because remember, that's what we talked about last week. We have the Holy Spirit. We're saved. We're made completely righteous in God's sight. But there's still this war that goes on between the spirit and the flesh. We need people to step up and say, let's go to war together. You don't have to do this on your own. We're all saved the same way. So that's what he's saying in verse one. And then in verse two, he's telling us that we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And by the way, when we're looking at verses 1 and 2, when it says you who are spiritual should restore him, it's not talking about somebody who's super spiritual or you've gotten to a certain point or you're whatever. You become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit the second you put your faith in Christ dwelling in you. When he says you who are spiritual, that's any believer. So you can't say, oh, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not quite there. I'm not super. No, it is. You have the same Holy Spirit and we're saved the same way. And it's all who are putting their faith in Christ. But what he says, though, is we need to bear one another's burdens. And oftentimes we read that verse. And this is true. I'm not saying it's not. We read that verse and we think of someone who has a tragedy or a hardship. And it is. That is bearing one another's burdens. I talked to uh, Judy Salter uh, yesterday. And she said, I love this church and the way people have rallied and helped. And what she was saying is, you're helping bear our burden. You're coming alongside of us and you're doing that. And this, this church does that really well. And that is very exciting to see and it's very encouraging. But the flip side of that, and this is very hard for any church, it's very hard for all churches, because the flip side of bearing one another's burdens is not just showing up in tragedy and other things, but it's being able to come alongside of someone and speak to the sin in their life. And that is not easy. That's much harder. It's much harder to do that because really when you think about what burden means, it means a weight or a trouble. There's nothing greater burden than when you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you fall into a sin. Whatever it is in your life and you're struggling with the sin because that war that is very real between the Holy Spirit and your flesh is intensified. And we need one another to step up and to help. And to speak openly and honestly, but to do it in grace, and love, speak truth and in grace and love. And that's what Paul's saying, really, when you look at what he's saying in verse two, because he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Jesus came speaking perfect truth and love. And he took it all the way to the end, to the point of laying his own life down for others to bear our burden. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. You speak truth and love and you help one another when they're struggling or when there's areas that you see and you're willing to step up and say so. And the reason you can is what I was just talking about because of the gospel. If somebody comes to you and says, I see this in your life and maybe this isn't quite right. You don't get all welled up. And who are you to say to me? Or, oh, I'm so messed up. I can't. I'll never be able. No, we're all. This, that's where the gospel completely changes it on both sides. And we should be able to do that in the gospel for one another because we're all saved the same way. If someone if we're really walking in the spirit and loving one another and someone comes alongside of you and points out something and wants to help you, it should be out of love. If they really understand the gospel, you know what you've been forgiven and then you want to extend it to others. So I always say extend the grace that you have received. If you extend the grace that you have received, you'll never run out of grace. What we've received is infinitely greater than we can ever extend. And we need to do this. We need to have a great desire as believers to bring everything under the lordship of Jesus. Everything. Every area of our lives. We should be able to look deeply into each other's lives and speak truth and love and help each other. Last week I talked about um, that we have to go to war on our sin. That there's a war between our flesh and our spirit, and we need to go to war on our sin. And we do, and we need others to go with us. We need a group. We need to be together, unified, willing to point these things out, to put to death the things of the flesh. And you need other people. You need as many people as you can get running with you and spurring you on and helping you. And that's one of the great gifts of the church and Christian fellowship, that we can do that. And that we're called to do that, and that's exactly what Paul's saying here. So, what are the outcomes of this? What are the two sides? Because there's some real stern warnings here, and we see most of it in verses six through ten. So, we're going to start just real, real briefly with the selfish side. If we fall into that, it's all me-centered. What happens? Look at verses six uh, six through eight with me. Let the one who is taught, who is taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows of his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows of the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I want you to understand what Paul's talking about because he makes a couple of things. I'm going to tell you, um, I started reading this and I kept going back and I thought, this is one of those subjects you get to and either preachers really, really, really like to talk about it and they talk about it all the time or they ignore it. It's one or the other. There's usually not. And uh, I said at the beginning, when we do Galatians and we go through a book of the Bible, one of the good things is it makes you preach on everything. You preach on the things as they come and you say what they say. Verse six is talking about tithing. It's talking about giving. If you look at what he says, he says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And it's the first time I've come across this subject in my short tenure here, and I want to be very candid and open right from the from the get-go with this. I am humbled that this church body would pay me to study God's Word and then stand up here and preach it. I'm absolutely humbled by that, and I take it very seriously. But that is what Paul says here. It is good for those who listen and receive the teaching to pay so somebody can do that, so I can devote my time to doing that. And that is a wonderful I mean, that's all I can say. (laughs) And I take that very seriously, but I want you to understand, too, within that, really, the the bigger thing here is verse 7 and verse 8 when he talks about, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what one sows, they will also reap. It has to do with tithing in general. He's speaking to money things. And nobody really likes... I, I don't like to talk about it, oh, we'll give money and those things, but I want you to understand why we need to be tithing diligently. And it's not, please hear me, it is not so we can build a bigger building. It is not so we can have nicer sound system or we can do more things that look really good. That is not why we need to be tithing. We need to be tithing because we desperately want the gospel to spread to all areas of the world That is why we are called to tithe and do it diligently and sacrificially, because we want all our resources to so be used for God's name to be glorified. And there are so many times. Sorry, I'm not I'm not getting like my normal emotional. I'm getting angry. (laughs) There are so many times when people say and they act like, oh, you give and give and give. And then you'll get so much back. I hear I've seen those where they say, oh, if you'll just tithe and you give, God's going to give you so much more money back and they make it all about earthly things. You'll get great wealth if you give. I'm breaking all the rules about talking with money. You will not necessarily get great wealth if you give diligently. I'm just going to tell you, God may bless you with greater wealth. He may, but he may not. And I want you to understand if you're. Motivations are are I should give diligently so that God will heap more stuff on me. Your motivations are wrong. And he's not going to bless that. And that is not for his name's sake. That's for whatever. For your personal wealth and comfort. And, And that's not what the Bible talks about. We should want to give diligently because we want his name to be made great. My goal, my vision, I've shared this before, is that if this church that in the near future, as soon as possible, we will be giving away more money than we're spending on ourselves. That should always be our goal. I, I can't wait for the day when 51% of our budget is going out the doors for Jesus' name to be proclaimed. That—that That is what we should be after. And one of the great things to the benefit of this church, and I'm not putting us saying, oh, we're doing... One of the great things that they've held to since I've been here is 10%. We always start with 10% that goes towards missions right from the beginning. And we say we're going to do that and we're not going to touch that. And that should always be the case. It should always be about going out for the name of Christ and not about our own stuff. Because what happens is when we start to make it about, oh, maybe God will give me lots of money if I tithe. Or I'll give money to this church so it can be really, really beautiful and so wonderful so I can come show my friends my wonderful church and all this stuff. When we get into that thinking, really, we're inwardly focused. We're becoming selfish on our motives, and that's not a good thing. That's why we need to hold to paying off our debt. And we want to pay off our building, and we want to do that so that we don't have that debt, so we can give more away, so we can do more for Christ. You follow that? We're we're not asking. I'm not standing. That's why I want to be so clear, because we're not talking about money, because, oh, no, we want to do, we want to, you know, whatever, put a new coffee machine that makes espressos and the you know that's not what we're after and i want us to be so clear on that point because what paul says look at what he says in verse 7 if that's our motives god is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap if that's our motivations inwardly focused things god will not be mocked there's no hiding your motivations from god he knows exactly why you're doing what you're doing And that's why we always want it to be about his name going out. And that's very serious because look at what he says right after that in verse 8. For the one who sows of his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. And that word corruption really means a downward spiral. It gets worse and worse. That you're just going down. And and that's that's the result. And that's what we saw last week. The more inwardly focused you become, the more you walk by the flesh and the, the faster it goes down. And I want you to think this morning as you just think about that thought. How much of your life, and I'm not talking about just money, I'm talking about really when you talk about tithing, it's everything. It's your time, it's your talents, it's your money, it's not just one or the other, it's all of it. It's your entire life, everything that's going on in your life. How much of your life is committed to God's glory? Is it 50%? 75%? Is it 10%? Is it 3%? Where would if you really looked at your motivations of what you're doing each day, how much of that is committed to God's glory? Because the reality is, and I have to say this because it's here, the reality is if it's zero, if you can't point to anything in your life, that takes us back to verse 21 last week that says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You are not saved by your works. I'm going to say this over and over. That doesn't mean you have to have a certain number of works to be saved. It just simply means that when your heart is changed, your life will look like it. When you understand what Christ has done for you, it would bear it out in your life. So that's a very serious warning, but I don't want to end on the downer. <laughs> that's, that's the downside if we get caught up in the, the inwardly focus. But let's look at verse, the end of verse 8 through 10 because that's the, the good side. When we really spur one another on, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season. We will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We hold one another accountable and we start to become outwardly focused and we start to do good and it starts to take off, and suddenly you realize, I don't care about my money. I don't care about getting earthly things right now because the rewards that God uh, promises to us are so much greater. He says you will reap eternal rewards. You will reap so much more than you ever can imagine if we start to become outwardly focused and live and love that way. When you give generously, you will be rich. It just may not be the way the world clarifies rich or the way we define it as rich. You will be rich beyond you can imagine. And that's what we talked about before when Jesus says, I've come that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. When we start to care more about his name than anything else, your joy will be full because you'll start to walk in line with the spirit. Jesus said, when the spirit comes, he will glorify me. Jesus says that about the Holy Spirit. When he talks about that at the end of John, he says he will come and he will glorify me and we will start to do that with the way we live our lives. And yes, we'll get eternal rewards. And you may even be blessed with monetary, monetarily in this life. But when you really start to understand this, you're blessed monetarily and you say, well, now what can I do for his name? It's not, oh, I can sit back now and just, oh, this is so great. It's now what can I do? I hope, my hope and my prayer as we work through Galatians, is that we become so obsessed with God's love for us and what he's done for us that it gets into every area of our lives. Every bit of it. And we say, what other ways can I make his name great? What other resources do I have at my disposal, whether it's money or time or your talents or your abilities? What can I use to make his name great? To point more people to Jesus and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that we would be a people that is struck at our very hearts for how much you've done for us, that it would radically change us to the point that we want to use every part of our lives to run after you, that we do so holding one another accountable, that, we, that we've developed such a hatred for sin that we're willing to help each other to point it out, to hold one another accountable. But I pray that we also would just see All that we have for what it is, and that's a gift from you. That we'd be willing to use everything at our disposal to make your name known to the nations. We thank you for what you've done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.